God, we love you, and God, we thank you that you are our living hope. As we're studying in this series, that Jesus went through his worst day, so we didn't have to go through ours alone. We can have hope in the midst of chaos. We can have hope in the midst of uncertainty. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak that to us today as we talk about this next statement that Jesus made on the cross in week six of this series. I pray supernaturally in this room and across all of the homes and watch parties and families and friends that are gathering this morning that you would bring a living hope inside of us. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do as we study your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Welcome once again uh, from your living room to our Action Church living room. It's week six, and we've been having an amazing time studying this, this, this topic of how to live through a bad day. And I'm gonna remind you, we, we picked this series back last summer before we knew that Corona was a thing, COVID was a thing, quarantine was a thing, social distancing was a thing. There were no little stickers and stamps for you to stand at the grocery store, no X marks the spot. And we decided to study these seven statements that Jesus made. And I can't think of a better season to be talking about how to live through a bad day. Kind of the theme of the series, write this down if you're taking notes again today, that Jesus, he went through his worst day so that he could help us, he could help you overcome yours. And he made seven statements on the cross on his worst day. We've been studying those statements and what was implied in that setting and what we can bring into modern day into our situation. We're gonna do that again today with this sixth statement from Jesus on the cross. We find this in John's Gospel, chapter 19. You can turn to your Bibles at home. We're doing the same here. John, chapter 19. And we're going to study verses 28, 29, and 30 today, but specifically 30 to get us started. It says, when he received the drink, that's what we talked about last week, and he got that sour wine, and, and he said, I am thirsty. And we talked about last week, if you missed it, go back and watch it, that we need to be transparent. We need to be human enough to acknowledge our need. Once he received that drink, Jesus said, it is is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Have you ever noticed that when you get to the end of something, you, you, you say things like, it wasn't that bad. In the middle of something, you're like, I, I can never finish this. I can never get through this. I, this is never going to be over. I got some examples for you this week. It's like reading a book. Anybody else like me that you don't, you don't finish a lot of books? I know you're probably judging your pastor. What is your education? You're from Alabama. Maybe everybody in this room is big readers and intelligent. But I get midway through a book, and I'm like, I am never going to finish this book. This gets redundant. That's the same story. I get what you're saying. I ran a marriage a few years ago, mile 16, 17. If you call Action Church home, you've heard the story. I won't bore you again, but there's a, there's a point in the race where you're like, is this ever going to be over? Are we ever going to be finished? Come on, road trip parents. You know, it's, it's amazing how long it takes to get somewhere, but then how short it is to come home. When you're looking forward to something, you're like, it, this takes forever. And on the way back, you're like, we made it. Anybody, an international flight, come on a missions trip or a vacation overseas, you're in the middle seat and coach and the person in front of you keeps putting their chair back and you're just in the middle of it. You're like, is this ever going to be over? I can't make it 
through this. Yeah. Got some high school students today watching and you're just so stressed right now because you're in coming up on finals and you're homeschooling. And, and I remember being in high school, like I can't make it. This has got to be the toughest time of my life. What I would give to go back <laughs> to the toughest time yeah. in my life. Come yeah. on, college, you're in exams and you're like, oh my, we're never going to get through this. You get, you get a month off every Christmas. I mean, can we just, like, I remember my first job getting out of college thinking, where is Christmas break? But in the middle of all of these things, you think, I can't make it. Then you have a career and you're single and you, you think, I just, I, I don't know if I can make it through this season. Then you get married, a different dynamic, and you're like, this is so tough. And one of my biggest pet peeves, we have about 50, 55 staff members here at Action Church. So I'm going to call them out right now. And we, we ask them to, to do something like that. Oh, that's my date night. If you don't have kids, every night is date night. Like, no, that's my date night. Like, I get it. You, you don't have, it's going to be 9 p.m. It's date night right now. It's date morning. It's date afternoon. But you you get that. Like, I just, I can't deal with this person. I can't get through it. Then you have one kid, and you're like, I, I can't make it. And then you have two kids. You're like, oh, my gosh, how easy was one kid? Yeah. You're in the middle of things. You think, I can't get through it. But when you get through it, you think, that wasn't so bad. That's so good, and I think that's our takeaway for today is that because Jesus finished his race, because he declared on the cross what we're going to study today, that it is finished. It gives us the permission. It gives us the access to, to make it and not only make it, but to thrive in the middle of it. I want to remind you of three things before we talk about this concept of it is finished today. And in the middle of your race, in the middle of your marathon, in the middle of your road trip, in the middle of your quarantine, in the middle of your pandemic, in the middle of your unemployment, wherever you find yourself, I want to remind you of these three things that we can, we can remember about our God. There's three theological terms that describes God, God's character, who he is. The first one is he's omnipotent, which means God is all-powerful. Like in the midst of every situation, whatever your stress is, whatever your bad day is, maybe it's relational, maybe it's a struggle with sin, a, an addiction, maybe some depression has come in your life in this season. I need to remind you today that God is all-powerful. Psalm 91 verse 1 says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That we can stand in the sun and sweat on our own under the heat of the pressure of life, or we can just get close to the, the shadow of the Most High, that we don't have to lead our own life. There is power in surrender and in the shadow of the presence of God, that God is all-powerful, which means because it is finished, because death has lost its sting, because Jesus has paid the full price for you and for me, we have a supernatural strength. God is all-powerful, and if we accept what Jesus did, we can have a supernatural strength. Good. I wrote this down this week, and I'd love for you to think about it. I'd rather have hope in an all-powerful God than certainty in a very limited me. I'd rather have hope, and I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to do either. That's why he's God, and, and you're not. What's going to happen? I don't know, but I'd rather have hope and faith in an all-powerful God than certainty in a very limited me. My God is all-powerful, and that helps us finish well. Here's the second thing. My God, your God, is omniscient, which means God is all-knowing. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows the beginning and the end of the problem that you're still stuck in the middle of. Hebrews 4 says this. He knows about everyone, everywhere. Everything about us is bare and wide open to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. 
nothing can be hidden from him to whom we must explain all that we have done. He, he knows everything. And because he knows everything, that should give us a supernatural faith. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that he does, so therefore I can walk in faith. That's right. that's so true. Do not be afraid. Get this. Do not be afraid to trust your unknown future to an all-knowing God. So good. Do not be afraid to trust your unknown future to an all-knowing God. I don't know what's going to happen, neither do I, but God does. Yep. And he's already there. Like he, he's never ceased to exist and he will never cease to exist. He knows the end from the beginning. He is all-knowing in all circumstances. Trust an all-knowing God. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And here's the third one. My God is, is omnipresent. God is always present in every situation. Psalm 139 reminds us, I can never be lost to your spirit. I can never get away from my God. And because he's always present, that gives us a supernatural peace. That's good. Wherever you find yourself, you can invite God into that situation. Yeah. Yep. He went through his worst day, Jesus on the cross, so that you didn't have to go through yours alone. And him finishing his race gave you and I access to a relationship with him. And our God is always present. When I know God is with me, I can face anything against me. When I know that my God is with me, I can face anything against me. Let's go back to John 19. I want to dive in and study this today with that filter of my God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and always present. And let's go back to read verse 28 and 29 and get some context because this word is used twice in this passage, this original Greek word, and that's where we're going to study the rest of our time together today. It says, later, knowing that everything have now been finished, and that word finish is tetelestai, tetelestai, that word finish is used twice in this passage, and it's the only time that this word is used in the whole New Testament. So this word finish, this tetelestai in the original language is the, the word that means it is, it is completely done, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. It says, scripture will be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put a sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished, to tell us that. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The only two times, there's something so important about this word, and it's used in several different settings in this ancient culture. And we're going to talk about it today from the lowest of lows to very, very powerful people and business transactions. And there's something so important. When Jesus says, it is finished, and he used this word, tetelestai, it would have gone from servants to priests to business owners. And what I love about the gospel is it's not just for a certain type of person, a certain type of class. When he says, it is finished, he used a word that all classes would have understood, that all socioeconomic backgrounds would have understood, that all races and all upbringings and all belief systems, they would have known this word means it's over. Like there's nothing else. Like there's nothing left to be done. It's to tell us that it is finished. It would have been used for servants. Servants used to tell us when reporting back to their master that they had completed their task. It says the work assigned to me is done. Another ancient secular Greek text, we read of the example of a father sending his son on a mission. 
The son was not to return until he had performed the last act of the mission. When he did return from a successful mission, he used the word to telestai, to report to his father that he had accomplished his goal. That's what Jesus is saying. He came down from heaven. He came down on a mission to, to bring an unholy people to a holy God, to pay the ultimate price, the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me. And he's looking there on the cross right after he had said, my God, my God, why have you left me that I am thirsty? He said, it is finished to tell us that like, dad, I finished what you sent me to do. Like the work is complete. I love what it says in the New Testament, my own will that Jesus did not come to do his own will, but the will of the one who sent me. The Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to fulfill his calling. He finished. And because it is finished, because Jesus finished his race, his purpose to die for you and for me, going through his worst day, because it is finished, we should live in obedience. That's why this servant's deal is so important. They were obeying their master, a servant going, obeying, and coming back and saying, it is finished. Jesus obeying the will of the Father, coming down to earth, saying, it is finished. This should be a, a roadmap, if you will, to our life, that we get to a point when we enter into eternity where we say, hey, God, I, I finished my race well. Because it is finished, because victory is ours, we should live in obedience. Good. So good. Jesus showed us that it was possible. The Bible declares that we can do greater works than even Jesus. Can we be perfect? No. We, we live in a fallen world, but can we sin less? Can we act in obedience? Can we live a life worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us? Absolutely, and he showed us how. So as we live and study the life of Jesus and this, this word used in a, in a servant to a master, that we should be able to live a life of obedience to his leading and to his calling. Another group of people, not just servants, that would have been in the crowd and would have been accustomed to this word would have been priests. That the priests would examine animals, both in the Old Testament and here in this culture, the animals for any blemishes before the sacrifice. Before they were sacrificed, it had to be a, a sacrifice without blemish. And if the lamb, get this, if the lamb was, was perfect and faultless and acceptable, the priest would say, Tetelestai. So if it, was, if, it was, if it was holy, if it was pure, and what Jesus is saying here, and he's talking to the priest, he's saying to Telestai because he's saying, hey, I'm without blemish. I am perfect. I am acceptable. I am the best sacrifice. And because it is finished, we should live in purity. Yes, Jesus is declaring, I am the one without sin. I am to Telestai. So the religious people would know he's fulfilling this prophecy. Wow. He is the Messiah. And because he's talking to priests, you and I are called to be in a royal priesthood. We, because it is finished, we should live in purity. Not just obedience, but we should live differently. Like our lives should look different than the world. If you call yourself a Christian, we talked about it back in our Easter message. We have a jersey to put on. How are you representing the team? When Jesus says to tell us that, that it is finished, it should cause us to live a life separate from worldly standards, separate from worldly culture, a life of purity because Jesus finished his race and declared it is finished to tell us that you and I should live a life of purity. Here's the third one. I thought this one was interesting. Spending a little time here. It wasn't just servants and priests. Artists would use this as well. They would use this word to tell us in this culture. And a, a, a famous artist writes, when the painter or the sculptor had put the finishing touches 
to the vivid landscape or the marble bust that he was creating, he would stand back a few feet to admire his masterpiece and seeing in it nothing that, call, that called for any correction or improvement, he would murmur fondly to Telestai, to Telestai, it is finished. Like it's done, like it, it's over. And I think this is so beautiful because the Old Testament just paints all of these pictures of prophecy of the coming Messiah. And there's so many different intricacies and, and beautiful statements of who he will be and, and what he will do. And when Jesus is saying this to the creators in the audience and to the creators listening today, to the artistic pe to people watching today, he's saying, hey, this thing is done. Like I have finished the picture that was painted in the Old Testament. I am finishing the, the masterpiece and the portrait that God is painting with my life and with my death and with my coming resurrection. I, I thought about this week, the death of Jesus on the cross finished the picture of redemption for you and for me. A masterpiece which had been on the Father's heart from before the foundation of the world. And he just looks out and says, Dad, it's done. The picture has been tainted. That grace has entered the scene. That mercy has entered the scene. That redemption has entered the scene. And because he says to Telestai, to the artist, it is finished. Because it is finished, we should live in confidence. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. so good. Like confidence, not just obedience. I gotta do the right thing. I, I gotta be religious. I gotta say no to this and yes to this. I gotta just, just obey, obey. I gotta be pure and holy. All those are important. But as believers in the finished work of Jesus, we should live in confidence, yes. in a boldness, in a, in a passion full of faith. Yeah. Jesus finished this masterpiece of God's amazing grace and he, he gave it to you and me as a gift. I thought about this week. I don't know if you know this. You and I are, are called God's masterpiece. It says in the, in the book of Ephesians that we are his, his masterpiece, that he wasn't just painting something beautiful, Jesus, although that is the most beautiful picture that's ever been painted. There is nothing uh, uh, that can even compare to what he did in sending his son, Jesus. But he's doing something with my life and with everybody in this room and with your life as well. And I don't know if you found this theme throughout Scripture, but, but God... He's never made a mistake. That's so good, so good. So like when, when Jesus says it is finished, it wasn't just for perfect people. Yeah, so it wasn't just for people that have it all together, that grew up on the, in the right family, in the right school, and made all the right decisions. There should be a confidence because God is painting something beautiful with your story yes. and with your life. So the only question is, have you given him access? Wow. Like I think about it, if I if I'm in a room with a with a famous painter, or maybe maybe let's I don't I don't do a lot of painting. I don't know if you could tell. Like I, maybe like a musician. Like if, if I'm in the room with with one of our action worship leaders, maybe Chris, Adriana, Darwin, Kaylee, Aaron. You know, if I'm like, hey, why don't you why don't you move on over off those keys for a second? Like let me let me let me let me play a little something. Let me create a little something. <laughs> There's a reason I don't lead worship at Action Church. Like it would it would be worship. It would be a joyful noise to the Lord. It would be loud. It would be passionate. But there'd be a certain point where they'd be like, hey, why don't you let the artist go in and create something? Yeah. I picture that's what God does with our life all the time. We're trying to paint this thing and create this thing and figure out this thing. He's like, hey, like I'm pretty good at this thing. Like, look at, I've got a pretty good track record. Why don't you give me the brush? Why don't you give me the instrument? Why don't you get this? Why don't you give me your life? Like, look, look, look at what you've done on your own. Some wins and some losses, more losses. And why don't you give it to me who can paint the best picture mm -hmm. yeah. and perform and create the best symphony and, and the, the greatest portrait 
of your life. And he said to Telestai to let all of the creatives know and the artists know that we can have confidence because it is finished. So good. Here's the business owners, the, the wealthy, the, the merchants, if you will. The last one, when he said to Telestai, he would have been talking to these people as well. In ancient times, when a promissory note or a, or a receipt was given, on the top of it, it would say to Telestai. So when a deed or property was, was sold and it was date and signed, when it had been accomplished, when the debt had been paid in full, then it would say to Telestai over it. And the connection that Jesus is making here probably would have been the broadest and most impactful of everything he was saying in this moment. Because when Tetelestai was on a deed or a contract or a receipt, it was over. Mm. Like the, the debt had been paid in full. Like we can close the book. We can close the folder. You can get up and leave. Like we are done. When Jesus made this, all of the people that would have been reading this uh, John's gospel or hearing this in the crowd, it would have been unmistakable to them and clear that Jesus had died to pay for their sins and that the price had been paid in full. And because of this, we should live in gratitude. Like we're, we're done. Like, we're still trying to grovel. Come on, I grew up uh, in, in church and in Christian school, and I thought I just had to say sorry enough, and, and I had to, to keep repenting and, and just always just, just keep this, this sense of almost obligation to just, and no, gratitude. Like, it's done. Yeah. Like, Jesus died once and for all, and should we repent from our sins? Yes. And, and should we talk to the Lord and be open and honest? Yes. But this idea that we're fighting to earn something that's already been given. Like, there should be a, we should live with this, this attitude or this posture of gratitude because the bill has been paid in full. So good. Let me paint it this way. We'll, we'll close with, with this thought. We've got three guys in this room. i got some, got some guys watching. You ever fought over a bill? Like you're at the you're at the restaurant. Like you ever I'm gonna pay, you no, know, you're gonna pay, and then like you, you both you both kind of go back and forth, especially if you're with your your wife your wife or your significant other, you're like, uh, I can't I can't let this guy take it. Well unless you're unless you're poor or you're like, Yeah, you should take it. Come on, be honest, right where you are, be honest. How many of you ever faked like you, you offered first, but you're like, please, dear heavenly father, God, God, if it is finished, if you are in control, I am gonna make this fake attempt right now. No, I got it. Oh, you got it. Oh yeah, you got it. Yeah. No, we've all been there before. Like, come on, bro, you're clearly way wealthier than me. Like, there's no way that I'm paying. Has anybody ever offered and they accept it? And you're like, I don't. I don't got this. Like, <laughs> this is totally off the rails, but we're having fun today. I was on a golf trip with one of our Action Church staff pastors. Uh, his name will not be named, but he does lead our South Orlando location. Uh, and we were at a, at, at a place, a nice restaurant, and there was four of us, and we were on a golf trip, and we had been alternating who paid for everything. And it, it made, uh, it was weird how he always wound up with breakfast. Like we would go to McDonald's for breakfast. We'd end the night at a steakhouse. However the rotation got messed around, we got to a place where we got to the end and the bill came and he said, I'm not going to lie. I can't pay for this. <laughs> he said, I can help, but there's no way I can cover it. And I think that is what I'm trying to illustrate today is there is a bill that you and I could never pay for. So good. Like we... We think we can help, but we can't. Like, God doesn't need your little bit of help, your $40 tip. Like, he's saying, no, I paid for it in full. Like, we're wrestling for this bill that we can't even pay for. 
Like, let me let me pay for this. I I made these mistakes. Like, I'll come back to church as soon as I as soon as I take care of this debt and as soon as I figure this thing out and as soon as I make this right. You can't pay for all the mistakes. Like, your sin separates you from God. There is nothing you can earn, nothing you can do, no amount of money, no amount of repentance, no amount of apologizing. Like, your sin separates you from God. That's why Jesus says it is finished. It's paid in full. Receive it. Walk out of that restaurant and begin to live a life of gratitude saying, thank you, God, for paying for something that I could never pay for on my own. That regardless of your mistakes, regardless of your struggle, regardless of the whatever point you are in your race where you feel like I can't go on, I'm here to tell you today, you don't have to go on alone because it is finished. He did not finish his work on the cross. He did not go through his worst day to leave you in the middle of yours. Just give him access to it. Say, I can't finish this mission. I'm a servant. I need you to come in and help me. That I, I, I'm a priest. I'm trying to live pure. I can't do it alone. I need you to come in and give me the strength and the, the faith. I, I am trying to create something. I realize that I'm not doing it great on my own. Have the paintbrush. Have the instrument. I'm trying to pay a debt. I'm here to tell you to Day. Put your money down. Put your works down. Put your religion down. And just start a relationship saying, God, I thank you for all that you've done for me. It is finished. It is time today for you and I to receive that. We're going to bow our heads here in our room. Why don't you bow your heads right where you are? What if you allowed the presence of God today? the spirit of the living God to come into your life and, and you receive the finished work of Jesus Christ. There is nothing you can do to earn it. You just look silly. You look like you did that day you were trying to buy it for somebody that clearly had way more money than you. Like God, God's got this. He's got a proven track record. And I promise you, if you will give him access to all of you today, that it'll change. That his power can come into your life. That his knowledge and his peace and his presence. But it starts by accepting what Jesus did. What he did through his life living a life worthy to die for you and for me, the perfect sacrifice without blemish, dying a sinner's death, not because he had sinned, but because you and I had, and he took our place. He said, it is finished. Sin lost its grasp on your life the moment that Jesus died for you and for me. He rose again to give us victory, both in this life and access to eternity. And it's just one decision away today, wherever you are, not joining a church, not ascribing to a religious belief. I'm just asking you today, do you need help in your situation? Do you need more power than you currently have? Do you need more peace than you currently have? Do you want to settle today where you will spend eternity? In a world now more than ever, you know that death is certain and you are not in control. Do you want to trust over that control and that leading and that that relationship to Jesus today. I'm gonna to give that opportunity right now, right where you are, in a car, in a living room, in a bedroom, at your kitchen table. But the presence of God is speaking to you. And this is your moment. You know, today is the day that you are settling eternity, that you are starting a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why don't you just raise your hand right where you are. As an act of surrender, maybe you're recommitting your life today. You've been in church, You've played the games, but but you've been wrestling for that tab. And if you're you're honest, you wanted credit. 
for your success, for your marriage, for your life. You, you've, had, you've had God at the table, but he hasn't been in control. And today you're releasing that receipt. You're releasing that control. You're releasing that religion. You're recommitting. You're saying, God, no, have your way. I'm, a, I'm receiving that gift, that debt that you paid for me. And I'm gonna live a life of gratitude, surrendering all of me to you. So for the first time, by recommitting your life today for the first time in a long time, say, I need Jesus. That's you. Let's pray this together. Come on, you can pray it out loud. If you're comfortable where you are, you can pray it in your heart. The words aren't all that important. It's the decision of surrendering your life today that is. So pray something like this. Say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge today that I'm a sinner and I'm saved only by your grace. And I'm confessing with my mouth and I'm believing in my heart that you are the Lord. And I'm giving you that place, complete and total control. God, have your way in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, God, I pray for all of us, every single one of us, this week we would rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That it's tetelestai, that it is finished, that it is paid in full. And so we would just receive more grace and mercy than we ever have. But as a church and as friends and as family, what if we began to give that grace to other people and that mercy to other people, that we're receiving a reminder today but we're getting this reminder so that we can then give it to other people. So we thank you for your example. We thank you that we don't have to walk through our worst days alone and through your presence and your leading and your power, you're giving us the ability to overcome even the toughest of circumstances. We love you, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen. amen.